Hi everyone, and welcome to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I interview some pretty amazing disabled people. Today, I want to introduce you to Lucy Webster. Lucy is a fantastic writer and journalist, and you may know her from the tweet that went viral talking about her experience of being rejected from a dating agency because she's a wheelchair user. But you may also know her from her amazing newsletter called The View from Down Here. I'm so excited for you to get to know Lucy and to hop into today's conversation. I'm an advocate of the social model. I would have the social model tattooed on my forehead if I could. You're having quite a good time at the pub when you were You had a couple of pints. You, you know, you're having a laugh. You don't worry about life. And then someone goes, Oh, what's wrong with you? I'm continually engaged by the number of people who like to tell me that I should be in the garden. You should be angry. If you are being oppressed by the system, the only rational response is anger. We're taught that anger is rational, but it's not how you should react. Great. Oh, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us on the Wheelchair Activist. I'm so excited to have you on. You've been on my list for a while now to interview um, because I'm just, I'm such a big fan of your writing and your activism, but it'd be great if you could tell our listeners a little bit about you and about what you do. Yeah, hi, um Thanks for having me and quickly being. Um, I am a freelance journalist um, covering disability in all its forms, um, especially looking at disability in politics and disability in culture. Um, so I write for newspapers and magazines. Um, yeah, that's me. Amazing. And I feel that, you know, before we get into everything else that there is to know about you, I feel that you may be known to a lot of people on who are listening to this because of your experience that was very negative but it sort of went viral about your experience trying to work with them it, it was a dating agency wasn't it yeah. do you want to tell us about that yeah um so it's a long story the short version is that um, i was having a bad time getting out um getting out i'm not a good place to be a disabled woman. Um, um, I just thought maybe I'd get some help. Um, so I 
massive eye roll at that. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a shock. Um, a shock and yet a bit of a shock, I guess. Um, so I was really upset and then my friend said maybe you should share this. I love that, yeah. And I thought, yeah, what the hell? Okay. I did not expect the ensuing reaction, um, which was extraordinary. I think it was seen by about four million people or something. Oh, wow. And it was covered by all the papers, the Times, the Mail, um, the Telegraph. At the time, I was working for the BBC, I ended up going on the Today program, and then they ended up covering it on my last leg on Channel 4. Um, so it was quite the week. Uh, I think I'm just about recovered. I think that that's, I mean, it particularly resonates with me for, you know, for a lot of reasons, but I love that your friend encouraged you to share it. And I can imagine that that really wasn't an easy thing to do because that was a really upsetting experience. And, it's a, you know, it's really vulnerable to share that type of rejection, you know, online. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that you did. What I wanted to say with that tweet was, you know, as a society, we have this kind of veneer of acceptance. And, and you know, I, I had a good job at the BBC. I, you know, living a very successful life. And yet... This is what people thought it was okay to say to me. Yeah. I kind of wanted to show that no matter how 
quote unquote un in a successful and disabled person is. We are still second class. Yeah. I think some of the people in my circle who are used to just seeing me out and about doing different um were quite shocked. Yeah, I mean for me, I think my reaction when I saw it was, I I can't say it was shock because, you know, I was, I was incredibly sad and angry for you, but I, you know, I didn't have that sort of exact same experience as you, but I wasn't surprised, no. unfortunately, that you'd received that. No, no, that was something I really had to hammer home to people when I talked about and interviewed about it was incredibly upsetting incredibly enraging uh, but it wasn't a surprise mm. because if people didn't think like that I would never have gone to a dating agency in the first place that's a very fair point yeah, I think, you know, I just wanted to pick up on what you said about, you know, how your career at the time was really successful. You know, like you said, you were working at the BBC. And I think a big misconception of disability is that, you know, we don't have personal lives. You know, we don't have dating lives and all of that, you know, where if we are quote unquote successful, you know, it is in a career sense or you're in a achieving as yeah. an advocate, which obviously people like you do extremely well. But it was to me so amazing to hear you talk about that experience because it just really shone a light on you know, you were willing to go to this agency to, you know, use their service for your personal life, as same as anyone else would want to. And you were met with that crappy response. So, yeah, I it's I feel it was really important to bring that up because I you know people will know. You know, you said four million people saw that tweet, and you know it. It launched, in a way, it kind of launched your freelance career, right? Because you now, you've now left the BBC and are freelancing. Yeah. Um, so I think what I really been was I had things to say. <laughs> and the BBC was fantastic, but no, not a place where you can... Scream and shout, make trouble. Um, I quite enjoyed making trouble. It turns out, and it was a way to you know, got that email, and it was awful. But actually, sharing it and talking about it and doing the media around it was a way to take it back. I love that, yeah. And say, no, I will not be treated this way. I will tell people 
and there will be consequences. Um, I think if I hadn't done that, it would have had a much more lasting effect on my mental health. Um, and then I realised that that's what I wanted to be doing. Um, I'd never thought of myself as an advocate. I'd never wanted to be activist. Um, but I just thought, I'm how old was I? I was 26. And during the pandemic, actually, we seem to be going back in terms of that, I was no longer happy to sit on the sidelines and allow that to happen without at least making a fuss about it. Yeah, I love how you framed that, though, about taking back the power from that situation and turning it into something that makes you feel like you're, you know, doing something and also really importantly, doing something that you enjoy. And, you know, as a reader of your newsletter, The View From Down Here, I mean, I I love your content. I think it's so enlightening. And I think, you know, for me, reading it as a fellow wheelchair user, it's really refreshing to sort of hear that honesty about disability and you know, the experiences that you go through that are ones that we all share, but ones that we don't always talk about. Yeah, I think it's funny when I, when I write, I think I'm so, I'm so used to writing for a non-disabled audience. But mm. the most brilliant feedback it always for other disabled people and uh, other disabled women saying, Oh my god, me too. And that's brilliant. And I think as disabled women, we don't get that in the media. Um, so I, I hope that my little news is that way. And we'll grow to be that way for more and more people. Well, if, for anyone listening, if you have not subscribed to Lucy's newsletter, I couldn't recommend it more. I'll make sure that the link is in the description of this episode. And I think it's so interesting what you said about writing for a non-disabled audience um, and sort of the way that you then will talk about things is very different when you're writing for disabled people or if you're writing to both groups of people. Um, but mm. there's this question that I ask all of the guests on this podcast, and it's a really big one, and it's a bit mean, but I want to ask you, what does disability mean to you? Oh, what a fantastic question. I think you're the first person to say that. Everyone always says, oh, God, that's a hard question. Um, quite, yeah, quite a big question. Um, first and foremost, I think disability is a way of existing in the world. Um, 
I'm an advocate of the social model. I would have the social model tattooed on my forehead if I could. Um, I think disability is a social phenomenon that is created by society being inaccessible and ableist. And therefore, it impacts every part of my life. Um, but, but only this in relation to other people in the system that disable me. I do not think my body is broken or bad or wrong or any of those things that are assumed about. Um, so that's my kind of what is disability. Um, but if you ask what disability means to me, I think it means community. Uh, you know, my, so many of my friends I found through the disabled community. So many of the people I look up to are disabled women and couple men. We accept them too. Um, yeah, it's empowering and it's being understood and being on the same side. Um, which is such a simple thing, but I think so many of us grow up without that, without community and so that, and we find it maybe in our 20s and 30s, and what a powerful thing. So to, to me, this means always incredible, kind, funny, fierce people mm. who make up my life. I think, you know, what you said about only find, you know, so many of us only find community, the disabled community later in life. I mean, it certainly rings true to me. And, you know, it was something that I talked to um, Chloe Timms about on an episode and so much of that mm regret really of not identifying with the community um before then and I think it's interesting hearing from you about how that's what disability is to you now and it I completely agree that you know this community is made up of such diverse and truly amazing people and I think you know that was a big inspiration behind doing this podcast at all is you know look at all of these people doing amazing things that sometimes have to do with disability and sometimes absolutely don't and I want other people to know that. Definitely I think the pandemic has been horrendous for our community but I also think it reinforced mm. that sense of solidarity and looking out for each other and protecting for each other. And maybe 
know, gave us a, a cake. We needed to be angry. And the anger is a really powerful, motivating emotion. Mm. I, I think that anger was horrible. We had to feel it, but I think it will lead to new and exciting things. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And it reminded me of this quote that quite often is linked with the feminism movement but it's the quote if you're not angry you're not paying attention and you know I think that completely is accurate for the pandemic for disabled people you know we've been forgotten about or you know chosen to be forgotten about for this whole pandemic and we're still being treated as disposable essentially, you know, the lifting of all restrictions, particularly the restriction of isolating if you test positive, it has felt like a massive kick in the teeth for disabled people who continue to be very scared about um, contracting COVID. So I, I completely agree that the anger, I mean, anger, to be honest, fuels a lot of what I do. Um, so, you know, I hope that people listening to this will realize that you know you and I get angry but to try and channel that into something that helps us all yeah I think something that I've recently is you should be angry if you are being oppressed by the system the only rational response is anger. We're taught that anger is rational, but it's not how you should react to this, and especially Mm -hmm. what happened in the pandemic. I do say that quote of if you're angry, you haven't paid attention. I say to people, all the time. I love that you just said that because I just think it's so true. Yeah. I think lots of people possibly think that they're paying attention, but they're not really. Yeah, I I say it to people as well. So I'm glad that you do as well. Um, So we talked a bit about like how powerful the disabled community is for you and how we, a lot of us only find it later on in life, but really interested to ask you, while you were growing up, who were your role models? This is so interesting because I've been talking about this a lot this week. Um, and I honestly don't think I had any.
Another thing I had to be my own role model. It wasn't very clear for quite a while. Um, and because you can't be, you can't be what you can't see, right? Yeah. That, that's so true. And I'm now at the stage of my career where because I'm writing about this stuff, suddenly I'm meeting all of these brilliant people who were out there when I was a kid and I had no way of finding them. I think, God, if I'd only known, you know, 15 years ago, that you were out here and you were out here and how different that experience of going out would have been and how much less terrifying yeah. it would have been. I just quickly jotted down that you can't be what you can't see because that's so impactful. And I think that that really speaks to what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to provide that representation so that when disabled people are thinking about what their life could be and what they may want it to be, that they see people who are doing all different kinds of things. They can visualize themselves in that area of work or doing that with their life. That's so powerful. And that you you don't have to be a Paralympian. (laughs) Yeah, completely. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think, you know, the, uh, the perception of disability can sometimes be either you know frail at home doing nothing or you're a paralympian but a lot yeah but a lot of us live in that in between space or we're doing things that are amazing but have nothing to do with sport i um i couldn't know less about sports if i tried so i'm the least sporty person Have people actually said that to you? Yes. I don't know I could. I eat cake for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, part of me is surprised that someone would suggest that, given, you know, that you're only a successful writer. And journalist, and you know, <laughs> all that naturally, the next step is the Paralympics. Naturally, but this is why I think, you know, I'm very prolific on Twitter, and part of that it's not that I think I live some inherently fascinating life, I don't, but I want to show that you can just live a normal life and just, you know, go to the pub when you meet or have a job mm. or, or 
trying to yeah just hammer home that disabled people yes we're disabled but we also are people like you know we okay you know we have to fill our cars with petrol and go to the shops and yeah all of those like like you said those mundane things that we don't get to not do but it's reminding people that we are exactly the same. Yeah, and we make friends and argue with our friends and fall in love and, you know, get married with our kids and get divorced and because life is messy and complicated. Yeah. Because it's real life. Yeah, completely agree. And, you know, when you were saying that, it made me think about, I mean, this may tie in with my next question, but it made me think about your decision to quit your job at the BBC and decide to go freelance. And I think that, you know, if I'm trying to think from a non-disabled perspective, people might be really surprised at that you know that you're giving up this prestigious job and the security and all of that to do something that is risky and is unsure but it's a decision that's done by so many people all the time disabled or not but I I wonder if people ever sort of questioned you more for that decision because of your disability I don't know because I don't have family or friends that would do that, I guess. Um, my, my parents are very supportive. Um, and my, you know, my friends are pretty feisty people. Uh, non-disabled and disabled, I think we attract what we are. Um, And so I think they were surprised. Uh, But I don't think they were surprised because I'm disabled. I think they were surprised because it was a very surprising thing. But actually, you know, they know me, and they know that I like to say what I think, and that I like to be challenged. And I think most people around me can see that I was not having the best time. Mm. 
and could see that I knew what I needed to do and they probably weren't going to be able to stop me. I love that. So they were all really supportive, actually. I have to say, um, once I explained my routine, mm-hmm. everyone was putting it on board. Which is wonderful. You know, I think it's so important to have that support from family and friends, but I love that you were probably going to do it anyways. Um, so my next question is, what is something that you are most proud of? Um, uh, um I am really proud of sharing that you know. I was I wanted to but I also thought oh my god I'm putting this on the internet. Is this negative you know? Um I actually didn't go to and went very well. Um mm. so yeah I think I think I was so angry at the time I didn't even realize how got to that was. But then when I tell the story, I think that was quite nasty. Yeah, it was. But myself, um, I am really proud of making the decision to go for it. It was not a simple decision, um, but it was the right it was. Um, I also am really proud of kind of my teenage self who was having a pretty crap time of life and decided to start writing. Um, I know I knew that was gonna be what I did for the rest of my life, but. I started a blog and it kept me going through some pretty rough few mm. years and then led to this career that I somehow can't believe that I have. Um, so that was a good move from being able to Yeah, I mean, I... I completely agree that it was a gutsy decision to put that really intimate experience online, but I'm really glad you did because, you know, as a disabled person myself, you know, I found it really important for other people to hear about the experiences that we have when trying to have a dating life um, and to, you know, the fact that we want a dating life because it's it's not really talked about enough. And I know that when I, um, like for me, a few years ago, I decided to put on like my investigative journalism hat and I did do online dating for a little while because I wanted to see what it was like for a disabled woman, and I, you know, I had 
had some interesting experiences. Let's put it that way. Um, none of them particularly yeah. positive. Um, and I wrote a piece for about it for Hey Girl magazine. But the way that I ended up doing the piece was interviewing other disabled women who had had experience with online dating and seeing if theirs was positive or negative. And so I sort of took the focus off myself for that piece. So I, you know, I'm just really impressed by anyone who can put that focus on themselves and their reaction to experiences. Um, And, you know, maybe it's something Mm -hmm. I'll do again in the future. But I think what was so galling about your experience was that it wasn't, you know, some creep on Tinder who was mean to you. It was an agency that you Mm. were willing to pay to Mm. provide their service. And they said no. Uh, You know, I've yet to meet a disabled woman who has not had a terrible time. They are bad. (laughs) Um, And men are mean. Um, yeah. But like you say, you know, it's not nice, but you do think, oh, well, yeah, weirdo. <laughs> I'm matched with you. Um, and, you know, for it to come from an established company and for them to happily wrote me that email um was a whole different register of hurtful. Um luckily I mm. have a lot of friends and you know people made sure I would okay and I am okay. Um, but I now basically refuse to think about, talk about, consider going on the apps or trying to agency or any of that because I actually think it's not mm. worth the, the emotional health. I'm not, I'm not willing to do that to myself anymore. I think I still have friends saying, mm. oh, yeah, get, get out there. You'll find someone. And no, because the experience is always so bad. Why, why would I do that to myself mm. anymore? Yeah. I think the reason that I wanted to be so personal about when I tweeted it was I was kind of sick of not being believed. Okay. I think for a lot of people, the fact that I'm so successful in their eyes, it's not in my own. Um, 
interesting though because it I mean it makes so much sense to me that you don't want to put yourself through that and I but that's so interesting that people are still encouraging you to get out there you know and whatever it may be and you know your success in other areas of life are making people think that you can just magically make success in the dating world or in your personal life but you know I really hear you when you say that you can't fix that because it's not up to you how the general population think about disabled people in terms of dating and yeah it's I can imagine that that's a little bit frustrating to have like your success and your tenacity in like other areas of life be applied to this because yeah, like you said it's yeah. this isn't within your control it's completely other people's perceptions yeah and it's not like I haven't tried yeah so I thought to myself if I'm going to tweet this and all the emotional result of that is coming for me. I might as well be completely honest. I might as well be personal and angry and reward because otherwise what's the point? The phrase go big or go home comes to mind. I'm a big I'm a big believer in go big or go home. My friends like to say that I don't do things by house. Yeah. And I think that's probably true. <laughs> I, either, I either don't do it or I do it 100%. <laughs> Completely agree with you there. And you definitely strike me as a go big or go home person. Um, So... I want to ask you, what would you say is the hardest barrier that you've had to overcome? Attitudes. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. Stairs are annoying. We should have less stairs in the world. Uh, But they are nothing compared to and yeah, just the assumption that 
seen a blonde person, that's weird. Someone talking about like the difference between not being able to like physically go into a space because of accessibility barriers and then attitudes I mean it really resonated with me but I feel that attitudes are worse because it's an active choice in that moment I mean obviously there's an architect or a builder who decided to put in stairs and not put in a ramp But it's like in that split moment where you say something crappy to me, you've chosen to do that. You've chosen to do it in this context. It wasn't 200 years ago. No, it's always always when you're having quite a good time. Yeah. You're having quite a good time at the pub with your mates. You had a couple of pints. You know, you're having a laugh. You don't worry about life. 
and then someone goes, oh, what's wrong with you? And suddenly your fun, carefree evening is not fun and carefree anymore. I mean, that's incredibly sad, but I totally get what you mean. It really can catch you off guard um, a lot of the time. And, you know, I know I said, you know, oh, say this to that person, but it's so important to realize that it does catch you when you're not expecting it. And to know what to say in those situations is really difficult. Yeah, I think I had a phase where I thought I should know what to say, but actually, now I don't engage at all. I just pretend that I'm mm, not here. Fair. I mean, like you said, it's emotionally taxing to deal with that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, yeah. It's not really my job to educate the pub idiot, but... Yeah. really well said I think you know it's so important to stress that there is no right or wrong way to deal with situations like that it should always be a matter of personal choice and like what you also feel safe doing um so I mean I love that you have supportive friends um because that is really important but I suppose my we've talked about your 15-year-old self, and that's when you started writing and sort of how pivotal of a moment that was for you um, and that you're proud of your past self for doing that. So I'm really interested in what advice would you give your younger self or to young people like you now? Um, don't wait until you're, you know, 23 or whatever I was to find this community. It's, you know, nowadays they're all on social media, we're all on social media. Um, we're here to be found, find us, reach out to us. Yeah, I love nothing more than a young disabled person, you know, getting in touch. They asked me something. Um, I don't always know, but someone they do. Right. And and use it, use mm. the fact that we're all here and we're all punished. Um, to realize 
that you are not alone. That the stuff that happened to you is not because of you. It's because of everything. It's not in your head. You know, making it up. Yeah. This shit is real. And it's not right, but at least it's not you. Well, I definitely felt as a junior disappointed. Am I doing something wrong? Um, mm. I was not doing anything wrong. I just lived in a system that impressed me. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a revolution. Um, yeah, I mean, having disabled friends changed my life. So I reckon. You know, I can give advice about work or I can give advice about care or whatever, but actually, fundamentally, the, the thing that I can tell my 15 year old go and find your people mm. because you will feel better when, when you do. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. I was in my sort of early mid-twenties when I first started even thinking of myself as disabled and it was a good couple of years after that that I started having disabled friends and I completely agree with you that it makes you feel that it isn't just you you're not the only one who's you know dealing with carer issues or is feeling discriminated against at the supermarket and you know, little instances like that. So I, you know, I remember um, when I first reached out to you, I I can't remember what piece it was, but I, it might've been when you started your newsletter and I said something like, I want Lucy Webster to be my new best friend because I really felt understood by you, even though we'd never met because of what you were writing. So you know, I and I felt like I was able to, to reach out to you and say that. And I completely encourage other people to, you know, if you see a content creator online who's disabled and that if their work resonates with you, you know, do get in touch because, you know, I, I don't do it on the scale that you do. But when I do write something, it's so amazing when someone messages you and says, Oh wow, you really captured what I'm feeling. Yeah, I think as disabled people, as I said at the start, we are we're not used to seeing our experiences reflected back to us in writing or TV or whatever. So finding those people who do reflect it back to you so empowering. Um, and yet, what I can say is reach out, reach out. I almost guarantee that someone will reply to you. Um, you know, and it opens up this whole world of friendship. And understanding and for the attitude, 
that would be so powerful if you were 15. Yeah, completely agree. And I just want to say a massive thank you to Lucy for joining me on this podcast and being so open about your life experiences and how they've shaped your career. I think so many people will really resonate with your story and will, you know, find a bit of representation in what you're doing. So just thank you so, so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. Great. We will actually see each other soon. I would love that. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Lucy. Thank you. Um, Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wheelchair Activist, where I interviewed the amazing Lucy Webster. Her newsletter subscription link will be in the description of this episode, and I really encourage you to subscribe and support Lucy in whatever way you can. But before you go, I just wanted to remind you that The Wheelchair Activist is committed to making our content as accessible as possible. So we have set up a GoFundMe and a Patreon so that if you're able to, please contribute what you can so that we can continue to invest back into this amazing platform to make sure that our content is accessible. We're working with a podcast producer and doing regular accessibility audits of the website. And if you're not able to contribute, give it a share and maybe that rich uncle will come through and donate to this amazing platform. Thank you so much and I will speak to you very soon.